Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Babies, it may be appropriate at this time to check them into our nursery. We have qualified child care teachers ready and able and willing to minister to your children. The rest of you can open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. The year was 1738. The place, the docks in London, England. One boat was leaving to America. One boat was coming back from America. On that day, the great preacher and evangelist George Whitfield was a young 24-year-old preacher excited and ready to set sail from London to go to the American colonies to preach the gospel. At that same time, coming back from the American colonies, a little bit older than George Whitfield was John Wesley. If you know anything about John Wesley and George Whitfield, two great preachers used during that time in England and America. But here's the difference. As George Whitfield was leaving excited in the power of the gospel, John Wesley was coming back painfully aware that he was not saved. He had gone over to America as a missionary and realized the whole time that he wasn't actually a Christian himself. And he would write in his journal later on, What have I learned? Why would I least of all suspected that I who went to America to convert others was never myself converted to God? One man came back empty and frustrated because he did not have the power of the gospel Christ in his life and in his ministry. Another man going excited because he had the power of Christ and the gospel in his ministry. And many people attribute the preaching of George Whitfield to the power of the gospel in the Holy Spirit's presence. And his biographer would say this about George Whitfield. He would say, Whitfield's effectiveness lay not in his eloquence or zeal. We look back and realize that in raising up Whitfield, God had granted upon him and his ministry a mighty effusion of the Holy Spirit. And it was this, the divine power, which was the first secret of his success. He had the power of God on his side. He went in the power of the gospel. He went in the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the question we've got to ask today, hundreds of years later. Do we truly trust in the power of a mighty, sovereign God through the power of His gospel to save sinners? Now, we may give lip service to it, say, oh yeah, I believe in the gospel, I believe in the power of the gospel, but do we truly believe 
in the power of the gospel to change lives. If we do not, we might as well pack it up and go home because the power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at our text this morning, we are going to be focusing in on the power of the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We've been in this passage the past two weeks. We're going to continue in this passage this morning. But let's start back up in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. That's the key word that frames the entire passage. Be strengthened in grace. Have God's grace strengthening you. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's what we looked at last week or two weeks ago. Entrusting the gospel, being a disciple-making church, trusting the gospel to others who will pass it on to others who will pass it on to others. And then last week, we looked about suffering. Share in suffering. And we looked at those three metaphors. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Here's where we're going to camp out this morning, verses 8 through 10. Remember, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In these three verses for this morning, here's the main point. We are faithful for the future by remembering the power of the gospel. Notice how Paul starts verse 8. Remember. It's a strong command. Remember. Literally in the original text, keep on remembering. Constantly keep on remembering Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as according to my gospel. Now, I find that very interesting. Remember Jesus? Aren't we Christians? Why would Paul command us to keep on continually remembering Jesus? Remember Jesus. Remember the gospel. Timothy, as a young pastor, you cannot forget Jesus. And I I think most of us would say, well, I'm not forgetting Jesus. I mean, he's my Savior. This is what we're all about. Aren't we about the gospel of Jesus Christ? But here's the issue that Paul wants to drive home. We, as sinful human beings, our hearts are so prone to wander that we need to constantly keep coming back again and again and again to the gospel to the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ from the dead we've got to preach that gospel to ourselves we've got to immerse ourselves in that gospel this past week in the 21 day devotion that's what it was all about was immersing ourselves in the gospel we can relate to the old hymn Come thou fount of every blessing, which says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We are prone to wander off of the gospel. We are prone to have our hearts fixated on so many other things besides 
Jesus. And so Paul is very clear. He says, keep on continually remembering Jesus. So for this morning, I want us just to focus on three aspects of remembering Jesus in the gospel. Verse 8 is point 1, verse 9 is point 2, and verse 10 is point 3. It's real easy to follow my outline this morning. So here's the first thing we need to remember. First, we must remember the substance of the gospel. The substance of the gospel. If Paul tells us to keep on remembering Jesus in the gospel, we've got to ask the question, well, what's the gospel? What's the substance of it? What, what is it made of? What, what makes up the gospel? And in verse 8, Paul gives two definitions of what the gospel is. Now, there's more he unpacks in other places in the Bible, but for this passage of Scripture, he gives us two markers, two identifiers of the gospel. Number one, notice what he says there. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He focuses on the resurrection. Do you realize that without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, our faith would be useless? We would have no hope. Paul even says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Futile means empty, worthless. Now, when Paul says Christ risen from the dead, risen, it's a very powerful way of saying that Jesus rose once and for all, Three days later, but he continues to be risen today. He is the ongoing, continual, risen King of kings, Lord of lords. God placed his stamp of approval on the death of Christ, on the burial of Christ, by raising Jesus from the dead. The substance of the gospel is the death, burial, and victorious resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and that he's at the right hand of the Father's throne right now. And the question is, what does that mean to us? Who cares? Yeah, that's what we celebrate at Easter. But let me just remind you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power available to you and to me on a moment-by-moment basis. What do we need most? Power. Grace. That's why Paul starts this thing. Be strengthened by grace. We need grace. We need empowerment. We need sovereign grace to come into our lives. And we need the power of the gospel. And notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What do we have for those of us who believe? The great, mighty, outworking power of God that he worked when he raised Jesus from the dead. So you and I have resurrection power available to us every day to live the Christian life because Christ rose from the dead. That's the first thing Paul says. You can't get off the resurrection. It's the the sum and substance of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. But notice the second thing Paul says there. He's from the offspring of David. It focuses on the prophetic lineage of Jesus. 
Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, there was a prophecy given to King David that he would have a king on the throne that would rule forever. And so Jesus comes in that lineage from David all the way down being born to Mary and Joseph. And so Jesus is the ultimate king of kings, Lord of lords. He's the prophetic Messiah who was promised in the Old Testament, who's come in the fullness of time, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. That is the gospel. The substance of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died the death we should have died, rose again from the grave. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's coming back again. He's King of kings and he's Lord of lords, and he deserves all worship and glory. That's the substance of the gospel. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Have you internalized that? Do you understand all that Christ did on the cross? Do you understand all the benefits that flow to you from the resurrection? And are you constantly remembering this? Are you moving on to bigger and better things? There is no bigger or better things than the death, burial of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. There's a lot of things you can get sidetracked on, but we've got to center ourselves back onto the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ in the gospel, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. We've got to constantly be remembering that. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, There is only one thing I know of that crushes me to the ground and humiliates me to dust, and that is to look at the Son of God and especially contemplate the cross. Do you contemplate the cross? Do you think about the cross? Are your thoughts focused on Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and all that he's done for you there and all that he is for you now? So the first thing Paul wants us to remember is the substance of the gospel, what it is. But the second thing Paul wants us to keep on remembering is the sufficiency of the gospel. In verse 8, Paul defines the gospel. In verse 9, he's going to talk about suffering for the gospel, but he's going to give us the sufficiency of the gospel. He says, this gospel, verse 9, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Now that word suffering really means to suffer evil. And here's the way it's worded really in the original language. I'm suffering bound with chains as a serious criminal, as an outrageous criminal. The only other time that word criminal shows up in the Bible is to refer to the two thieves that were crucified next to Jesus. And we have to ask the question, what was this outrageous, blasphemous, audacious crime that Paul committed and perpetrated against humanity? What was it? It was preaching Jesus. Preaching Jesus Christ has him suffering like a criminal. He's in jail, remember, writing back to Timothy. But I want you to notice, and some of you kids are going to laugh, but I want you to notice a big but in the middle of verse 9. But the word of God is not bound. It's not bound. It's not in chains. Paul may be in chains, in prison. 
He may be silenced from presenting the gospel to thousands of people, but the word of God is not in chains. It is not bound. You can't stop it. You can't stop this word of God. Throughout the centuries, people have tried to stop the Bible. They've tried to stop the gospel. They've tried to stamp out Christianity. You see it in places like North Korea today, in the Sudan, in Somalia. You cannot stop the word of God. It has power. It's not bound. It's not chained. It will go on and on and accomplish what God has it to accomplish because it's sufficient. Some of you have read Nick Ripkin's book, The Insanity of God. Excellent book. I think it just came out with a movie back in the fall. There's a, it's about a, Nick and his wife traveled all around the world to closed countries, to persecuted nations. They went to Moscow, Russia. Uh, they, went to, they were missionaries in Somalia. But he tells a story about how he went to a gathering of Chinese Christians. Now, these were Chinese house church planters that were in the underground church, and there was about 150, 160 of them that met at this, this barn out in secret. Out of 150 pastors, seven had a full copy of the Bible. And during a break, Nick looks over and sees people tearing pages out of the Bible. He's a little concerned. Why, why are they tearing pages out of the Bible? Well, here's the thing. They were meeting together to find out which book of the Bible they hadn't taught yet. And all they could take was just one portion back. And so these missionaries were dividing up the Bible, tearing up books. You'll take Ephesians, I'll take Galatians. And they were tearing out just one one book so they could take it back and teach it. Just one book of the Bible. Now think about in America. I can't count how many study Bibles we have. Women's Bibles, men's Bibles, Barney the Purple Dinosaur Bible. We got all these different Bibles, study Bibles. I'm, not, I'm just joking. There's no Barney the Purple Dinosaur Bible. Some of you were like, hoping there was. The ESV Dinosaur Bible. No, we have all these study Bibles. We have all these resources. And yet these missionaries were content with just one book of the Bible. And they would, they would devote it to memory and they'd go back and they'd preach it because they knew that the, the Word of God is sufficient, it's powerful. And it's growing exponentially in China, the gospel, the church. The word of God is not bound. Don't don't ever believe the lie that somehow you can't speak the gospel. Even if they pass a law here in America to make it illegal, is that going to stop us from preaching the gospel? Is God's word bound? No, it's not. It's sufficient. It's powerful. So the first thing Paul says is remember the substance of the gospel. Remember what it is. And remember the sufficiency of it. God's word's not bound. It's not chained. It's going to go out and accomplish what God has it to accomplish. It's sufficient. But the third thing that Paul wants us to remember, we must remember the suffering on account of the gospel. We we can't get away from this. Go back to chapter 1, verse 8 for a moment. See how Paul starts this letter in chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We looked at it last week, back up in chapter 2, verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Here Paul says, 
in verse 9, I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Preaching the gospel brings hardship. Standing up for Jesus as the only way of salvation is not going to be a popular message in our culture. Being a prophetic voice of righteousness and biblical truth in our culture is going to bring resistance. It's going to get harder to hold fast to the gospel in the days to come. And Paul is experiencing the brunt of this by being in chains. He's in prison. He's he's in jail for the gospel. So you have to ask a question, Paul. Why do you keep doing it? Wouldn't it be a whole lot easier, Paul, just to tone it down a little bit? Don't be so radical, Paul. Why don't you waffle here and there? Why don't you soft pedal it? Why don't you be a little bit more secret targeted? Don't be so offensive, Paul. Don't be so exclusive, Paul. Don't be so gospel-centric, Paul. Don't talk so much about Jesus. Tone down the rhetoric, Paul, and then you won't get put in prison. And in our man-centered, fleshly way of thinking, that's the way we, ought, we often think we ought to operate. If, if we just toned down the gospel, more people would accept it. If we just made it more palatable, more people would, would be able to taste it. If we just toned it down, then we'd be more relevant to the culture. But notice Paul's attitude is totally opposite. What does Paul say there in verse 10? Therefore, I'm, I'm being bound like a criminal. I'm suffering. Therefore, in light of me suffering, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I endure. I persevere. Why does Paul persevere? Because he knows God's word's not bound. He knows God's word is sufficient. He knows the gospel has inherent power. He knows that no matter what resistance is out there, God can break through those, home, those stony hearts of, of depravity and reach down and bring grace. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Be patient in tribulation. Paul realizes God's word's not, ch- I may be chained, but God's word is not chained. God's word is powerful. God's word is sufficient. But notice one thing Paul says. I know God has an elect people out there, and that's why I'm enduring. Now you may say, well, who are the elect? I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Who are the elect? Those are people that God has predestined to salvation before the foundation of the world who have yet to hear the gospel. Let me tell you a story about Paul. Paul was in Corinth for a couple years. It was hard. It was difficult. He was experiencing pressure. He was experiencing persecution. He got really struggling in his ministry. And one night, because he's struggling, Jesus himself appears to Paul and gives Paul some very encouraging words about election and evangelism in the city of Corinth. In Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 10, this is what the Lord said to Paul one night. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Did you catch it? 
Paul, don't be silent. Paul, don't back down. Paul, keep preaching. Paul, don't be afraid. Paul, endure everything. Keep doing it. Why? Because I have many in the city. Now, these many in the city aren't yet Christians. They're the elect who have been predestined but are not Christians yet. And Paul knows that when I go with the confidence of the word of God that's not bound, and when I endure all this, I know that God is going to save his people through the preaching of the word, and therefore, I don't have to water it down. I don't have to cajole. I don't have to arm twist. I don't have to do anything in in human power to try to convince somebody to come to faith in Christ because I know they're blinded by Satan. The one thing I do to blind people is what the only thing I can do is I preach Christ to them and let God do the work of opening their eyes. And Paul tells us that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, three through, or chapter four uh, verses 3 through 6. Paul says, even if our gospel's veiled, if there's a veil, if it's covered, it's veiled to those who are perishing, those who are lost. In their case, the lost, the God of this world, that's Satan, the devil. The devil has, has done what? He's blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. They're blind. They can't see the gospel. They can't see the beauty of Christ. They are dead in their sins. They're blind. And so what does Paul do? Does Paul say, it's hopeless, I shouldn't do anything? That's just the way it is. They're depraved, they're dead. No, look at the next verse. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus Christ. What do you do, Paul? I'm just going to preach Jesus. I know they're blind, I know they're dead, I know they're lost, I can't do anything about it, but the one thing I can do is I'm going to preach Jesus as Lord. Whoever comes in contact with, I'm going to preach Jesus as Lord. You know Jesus? He's Lord. You know Jesus? He died on the cross. You know Jesus? He rose from the dead. You know Jesus? He's the offspring of David. I can just picture Paul. I'm going to endure everything. I'm going to keep on preaching the gospel to dead, blind people because I know something. Look at verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, sounds like Genesis 1-1, or the first chapter of Genesis, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. People are blind. People are dead. Okay, Paul, what do you do? I'm going to preach Jesus. And then what does God do? God opens the eyes. God opens the heart. And Paul says, I can endure all that because I know there's an elect people out there, and I can endure all things for their sake because when the gospel's preached, God will call forth his people, and they will come. Now, here's the thing we need to understand. Regardless of what view of election you have and how you view predestination and all that kind of stuff, we talked about this in our new members class this morning. Regardless of how you view all that, nobody is saved until they hear, repent, and believe. You've got to hear, repent, and believe in order to be saved. So what's the most important thing we can do? We can sit here and argue all day about the doctrine of election and never do evangelism. That's stupid. There's a Greek word for that. It's called baloney. No, we go out with the gospel to every single person so that every single person can have a chance to hear so they can repent and they can believe. That's the one thing you and I can control. We can go out and boldly share the gospel. And notice how Paul qualifies it. Verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain salvation, just any type of salvation, generic salvation? No, that is in Christ Jesus. 
Jesus is the only way of salvation. It's not just a generic salvation. It's salvation in Christ alone. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So what do we do? We go out with the boldness of the gospel clearly proclaiming it, knowing that it has sufficient power to save because it's not bound, and God will save sinners. And that's what Paul prayed for. It amazes me that Paul, the greatest evangelist, the greatest church planner, the greatest preacher probably to ever live, he prayed for boldness and clarity with the gospel. If Paul had to pray for boldness and clarity, we probably should pray for boldness and clarity. Listen to how Paul prays in Colossians 4, 3-4. At the same time, pray also for us. Okay, what do you want us to pray for, Paul? That God may open a door for us to the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. What's Paul praying for? I want an open door to share the gospel, and when that door is open, I want to make it clear. I want to clearly present the gospel so that people can hear and Repent and believe. So we must be faithful to evangelism. Faithful to sharing the gospel on a continual basis. Our theme is faithful for the future. And part of being faithful for the future is being faithful to evangelism. Faithful to sharing the gospel. Faithful to declaring God's gospel so that all people will hear, repent, and believe. And it, and it comes back to entrusting others, entrusting others with the gospel so that they can share that gospel so people can get saved and they can entrust people with the gospel. And it goes on and on and on, entrusting each other with the gospel, de- declaring the gospel. That's why we need to be preparing. Last week, we need to be preparing like a good soldier like an elite athlete, like a good farmer. We were talking about this last week in, in prayer meeting. I said, which, which of the three metaphors is the hardest for you guys, to, or which one do you relate to the most, or the hardest for you? Is it the farmer, is it the athlete, or is it the, um, the soldier? And I think somebody said, the farmer is the hardest. An athlete you can train, and you can really train, and you can put out all your energy, and you can, you, can, you know, perform at the Olympics with a lot of your own natural talent. As a good soldier, I mean, you can grin and bear it, and you can fight the battle, and you've got the weapons, but as a farmer, what's the one thing you can't do? You can't produce a crop. You've got to trust totally in God's working to bring it. You can plant the seed, and you can wait, and you can pray for rain, and and, and you're totally at the mercy of the elements if it hails, and God has to bring the increase. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So evangelism needs to be happening outside the four walls of this church building where you're declaring God's gospel in the ebb and flow of all areas of your life. But as we're thinking about faithful for the futures, we're thinking about you know, paying this building, the blessing of this building, this building needs to be paid for, the, the, the mortgage needs to be paid down. God has specifically used this building as a tool for evangelism. Over the past eight years that we've been in here, 
We've seen 36 baptisms of people who came to faith in Christ through the ministry of the church. We've seen people come to faith through the Sunday morning preaching. There may be some of you that came to faith under the preaching of, of a sermon. We've seen people come to faith in the new members class. We've seen people come to faith through the growth groups, the Bible studies. We've seen people come to faith through youth ministry. We've seen people come to faith through our children's ministry. And again, you don't do evangelism because there's a building. Okay, this is the only place you can do evangelism. You've got to wait till you come into the four walls. Then evangelism happens. That's the exact opposite. Actually, I am to equip you to do evangelism, and then the other seven, six days of the week, six, yeah, six days of the week, <clears throat> You are to be doing evangelism outside the four walls. So evangelism is something that we should be doing, but I just want to remind you, this building has been very, very useful as a tool for God bringing people to faith in Christ. And we need to praise him for the tool that he's given us and the teachers he's given us and the leaders he's given us and the classroom space he's given us and the ability that we have to share the gospel. At this time, I'm going to ask one of our teenagers, Casey Bender, to come and to share with us how the power of the gospel and evangelism and all of these themes have been important in her life. And she's actually one of the ones that got baptized in this church. So, testing. One, you can test it. You can stand up here, too. All right, Casey. So, tell me how you've come to faith through the power of the gospel here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. So the gospel is the backbone of everything that Emmanuel is and does here. And God really opened up my eyes to that when I was about 14. And in the months before that, he had used the weekend and week out presentations of the gospel to work upon my heart and to show me that I wasn't measuring up to where a Christian ought to be, to what a Christian ought to live like and look like and think like and be like. And he completely revolutionized my old mindset. He changed everything about me and showed me that the most important thing we can live for is the gospel. The only thing that we have is Jesus, and that is who we ought to be. Amen. How have you been equipped to share the gospel here at Emmanuel? I've been equipped to share the gospel here in Emmanuel by many in our church family through their encouragement and their leadership. And here I have been taught to prize the gospel above all else. And I've not just been taught how to share the gospel, but why we should be sharing the gospel. And Emmanuel is a very missions-minded church, and it has shown me not just how, but why. And so... Um, it has shown me that we ought to declare God to all the nations. Very good. How have you been able to put that into practice here at Emmanuel? So I just mentioned that Emmanuel is a very missions-minded church, and last August I was actually able to become part of a mission team to India, and that was amazing for me because before my family even became a part of Emmanuel, God had placed it upon my heart a desire to go to the people of India. And so he, um, I was overjoyed to finally be able to go 
to India and to preach the gospel where it had not been named. We were not only able to strengthen the church and the Christians there, but we were able to actually go out into the villages where these people had never heard a word of the good news and speak to them. You got to speak to a lady in a little hut whose husband hadn't talked for years and started listening to what you were saying, right? Yes. All right. And so do you have a favorite memory of maybe something that God did in this building? I mean, you've been to India, you've done a lot of stuff, but maybe just particularly how this build, something in this building that has impacted you. So God has used this building in so many ways in my life that I know I'm not even aware of them all yet. And a lot of those ways have involved the relationships and the bonds that he has made between me and many of our Emmanuel family members. And so while I have a lot of treasured memories of this building, one of my favorites was the week of VBS about two years ago when through his will, through his providence, the youth sign-up sheets for volunteers for VBS were lost and we were assigned to certain places. And I was assigned to work in the kitchen. And I had no idea what that was going to be like, but when I got in there, Dodie Roberts and Dorothea Nielsen were also serving in the kitchen. And throughout that week, we did so much together and we talked so much that we became close. And I really treasure those memories because not long after that, Dorothea passed away and I would have never gotten to meet her otherwise. And in addition, Dodie has become a close friend of my family and I've gotten to spend a lot of time with her as one of the godly behind the scenes working women in our church. And I know that I never would have gotten to meet either of them without that week. Amen. Thank you, Casey. Let's give her a hand. Don't ever underestimate what can happen in a church kitchen. I'm serious, a lot of fellowship happens in church kitchens. Well, next week, we will gather to make our two-year commitments. And I pray that you've been praying about that. Again, I'm not arm-twisting you. It's between you and the Lord. Um, I can't make you give. All I can do is ask you to, to pray about that. It is a reality. The mortgage needs to be paid each month on this building. Uh, we do have a debt, and it has to be paid. And it doesn't come from any outside source. There's no benefactor. We wish there was some wealthy benefactor out there that was funneling money to Emmanuel, but it comes from, from us as faithful givers. And so, again, the mission of Emmanuel is not to pay down the debt. That's not the mission. Our mission is to display God's glory, to declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. And so let me ask you a question. What brings God the most glory? When his gospel is shared with boldness and clarity so that people can hear, repent and believe, and become followers of Christ. And then they can be discipled to obey everything that Jesus commanded them. So it really all comes back to God's glory, God's gospel, and God's great commission. And part of being faithful for the future does involve financial commitments. So in this week, I'm asking you to seriously pray about how God would lead you to give above and beyond what you're already giving in your normal tithes and offerings to the building. And next week we're going to come, and hopefully you've prayed about that, and you'll be prepared with the Lord to make those commitments. I can think of no better way to tell the story of how the Gospels made a powerful impact 
I've been telling our story about India. I don't think I've ever told the story all the way through in one, at one time. But you need to hear how God has been faithful with the gospel. Back in 2007, when we were in the old building, God led us to begin praying for a UUPG. You're like, what's a UUPG? An unreached, unengaged people group. It means a people group that has no Bible in their language, no missionary presence, no church, no, no anything. They're, they're, a, they're an ethno-linguistic people group. They share the same language. They share the same culture, the same customs. But there's no gospel witness at all. They're unengaged. And because this is being recorded, I'm going to use abbreviations, but most of you know what that is. So we began praying for the B people, this nameless, faceless group of people in India that we just began praying for. And for a full year, we began praying, Lord, would you send missionary? Lord, would you send a Bible in their language? Lord, would you get the Jesus film in their, in their language? Lord, would you, would you raise up a church planning movement among these people? And so for about two years, all we did was just pray for these people. We never even knew who they were. And then, in 2010, we had a meeting here at this church, among other churches, and one of the missionaries in, from India, whose family was from the church in Yuma, they had served the past eight years in India, they were back on stateside, and he had set up a display table here at the church, and I went up to him and said, where are you a missionary from? I'm from India. I'm like, really? Really? Well, we've been praying for the B people for two years. He's like, nobody's ever talked about praying for UUPGs. And we started talking about unreached, unengaged people groups. And he, he was all excited. He said, let me find out where they are. So about two days later, I get a call from him. He says, you're not going to believe this. They're in our area. But the missionary that you need to talk to is not me. It's D. D.D. or is his initials. D.D. and his wife and family live in that coastal city. And you need to get in contact with them. So I get a call from D, and he has no idea who I am. And I say, listen, we've been praying for these people for three years. He's like, I have no idea who they are, but I'll find out. So it's three hours away for him to go up into the mountains, to go up in the villages. He begins to go up and do scouting trips to find out who these people are. And sure enough, he finds out there is a people group. There is no church. There is no real ministry. There is no witness. There is no real gospel presence. And so he begins to pray for them. He begins to, to strategize. And the next thing you know, in 2011, we take our first trip, four of us. I remember being on the back of a motorcycle, going into the village, asking the guy that was driving me, have they ever seen a white person before? And he said, no, probably you're the first one. Okay, that gives me great encouragement here. So we, we go into these villages, not a lot of success. We were supposed to have a training where some known believers from a different area of this people group were supposed to come for training for three days. Nobody showed up. And the, the local pastor that was kind of taking us around, he kind of had a hard heart towards this people group. He, he wondered why we were wasting our time on this people group. They're a hard people group. They're an unreached people group. You don't want to go to them. They're not easy. That's the point. And so that first trip, we came back and we just continued to pray. We continued to pray. Then in 2012, we took another trip. We were able to go into some villages. We were able to see um, some, some things happening. Uh, a young man was added to the team. So his job was to specifically go up to the villages and do direct contact evangelism in the villages. And then we found out 
there had been a German missionary living in that area for 30 years. And he had just that year completed the Bible in the tribal language. What have we been praying for? For four years? That there would be a Bible in their language? Did we know there was a German missionary translating the Bible in their language? What have we been praying for 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 three years? That God would send a missionary to them? Now there's a missionary, not just one, but two. And then we've taken two trips. And then in 2014, we took our largest team, 16 people. We were able to do a lot of ministry, a lot of evangelism, see a lot more progress. They'd added another person to the team. And then in February 2015, I just went by myself. And we had found a young church planning pastor, P, who had lived a very lucrative lifestyle as a businessman. And God called him to abandon all that and to become a church planner. Had it, didn't set well with his family, went to Bible college, and to this day is not making very much money. But he had a heart to go to the people group we'd been praying for. We had no idea who this guy was. We had no idea. He's Indian. So the missionary D.D. and I sat in his little room, his house, his two-bedroom house, hut, if you will, and we vetted him for about eight hours, asking him theological question after theological question, and D. and I came out of that meeting, and he was overwhelmed. I've never seen somebody that spiritually minded, that mature, and that theologically sound ever in India. And he's the one that God has chosen for us to partner with to plant a church. This past summer, we took a team to his church building where there were 40 to 50 believers worshiping of this people group that we had prayed for eight years ago. We got to worship with them. We got to have lunch with them. We got to see them in action. I got a text. I get texts all the time from Pete. This morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, 8,000 pictures. Had a great service, Pastor. Show me the pictures of his service. Some of you follow him on Facebook and see him all over the place. He gets persecuted a lot. There's a lot of things you guys don't know about. There's been times he's been beaten up. Right? I didn't tell my India team this. I'll tell them this now. Yeah, right before we came, he's like, yeah, I got beat up last week. I'm like, is it safe for us to go out in these villages? Oh, it's safe. They'll beat me up, but they won't beat you up. You're white people. Thanks. That's good. So they've beaten him up for showing the, the, the Jesus film. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. In 2007, a small, little, insignificant church began to pray and ask God to move. And here we are all these years later, and you can see tangibly how God has moved. You can see the power of the gospel. And you can see that God's word is not chained. God's word is not chained. There are things God is doing around this world that would amaze you if we just knew what was going on. But we have a small part in what God is doing through the power of the gospel. Doesn't need a building, doesn't need a lot of fancy things, it just needs people on their knees willing to pray, willing to go willing to be what God's called them to be. You don't have to go to India to be a missionary. Some of you students, 
your mission field is Sterling High School, Sterling Middle School, Caliche, Marina, wherever you are. Your locker is your mission field. Some of you, your cubicle is your mission field. Your coworkers are your mission field. Your neighborhood is your mission field. Your family is your mission field. Wherever God has placed you, where there's people that don't know Jesus, that's your mission field. And we must remember the gospel. We must share the gospel and sit back and let the, unword, the unbound word of God do its work and see God save sinners. That's what it's all about. Would we be a church that's faithful for the future by boldly and clearly declaring God's gospel so that all peoples have an opportunity to hear, repent, and believe. And notice what Paul ends it with in verse 10, with the eternal glory. Salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, that all peoples would spend eternity with Jesus in glory. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Help us to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in the gospel, for which at times we may suffer, but we know that your word is not chained. Your word's not bound. Would we be willing to endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory? Give us courage to do that as we leave this place in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our schools, in our jobs. Lord, wherever you've strategically placed us, would we boldly and clearly declare the gospel? Would we believe that your word is not bound? And would we trust in your power to do what only you can do? Save sinners for your glory and your glory alone. And there may be some this morning that are in that category, Lord, there, there may be some that have never trusted you for salvation that are even here in this room this morning. Would today be their day of salvation? Would they repent and believe in Jesus, risen from the dead? Thank you, Lord, for your power. Thank you for our partnership with India. It is a miracle. It is your sovereignty. It is your grace. It is your power. We are so thankful that you've used us in such a small way to, to impact the kingdom in such a way as this. Thank you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.